podcast where every week, communists sit down to shoot the shit about current events, history, political economy, and theory. This week, we celebrate two years of the podcast by revisiting our inaugural episode, now retroactively titled Welcome to the Swamp. We review some of our predictions and reflect on the overall trajectory of the Trump administration over the last two years. So someone in the Discord suggested that we do this, and I think for some reason we thought, I don't know if we just all have low self-esteem issues, but I think we all thought it was going to be really cringy and bad listening to ourselves from the first episode two years ago. That's but definitely why. I, yeah, we, I listened to it and we we're pretty much right about everything. And we, the way we, I mean, because there weren't actually a lot of like hard predictions. There was all a lot no. of, well, maybe this, maybe that, you know. A bit of the old dialectic. A bit of the old dialectic. Um, so here's what the idea of what we're doing uh, this episode. We're going to revisit the first episode, which we've retroactively titled uh, Welcome to the Welcome Swamp. Welcome to the Swamp. So we're two years into the swamp. Uh, That's right. And two years of Trump, basically. Two years a, of Trump. Yeah. It's a yeah. metaphor. And I guess when we, the, it's funny, like we recorded the first episode. I didn't want to release it. I was like, let's do some more before we release it. Because uh, I guess I'm just conservative about these kind of things. But we ended up putting it up like the next day or something like that. <laughs> That is what other podcasts do. They'll like get a like a nice chest of podcasts going, yeah. you know, so they can just release it with a a little less of a hectic, anxiety-producing uh, deadline. Yeah, but yeah, so we put it up. Um, it seemed to go okay. I think we have. I think in the early days we'd get like you know a few hundred listeners or something like that. Yeah, um, a few hundred listens. We should listens. Say. Yeah. Um, we can juke. We can juke the stats a little bit. What's that, Donald? Well, no. My favorite thing about the early days of Swampside is there was that ultra left podcast that like <laughs> um, it was like ultra gotch or something yeah, like the that. Ultra gotch and podcast. They, and they like started like right after we did, and we're like talking shit about Swampside chats in one of their three episodes, and four, then like Donald, some four whatever. Okay, three or four episodes, whatever. And and anyway, like some asshole on like ref like left com Reddit was just like, "This is awful. This is the worst podcast ever. You're worse than Swampside chats." Like, <laughs> <laughs> and they just stopped making the podcast. Aww, so we've, we've inspired one failed podcast. We've probably inspired more podcasts than that. Honestly, they they've been nothing but you know disrespectful to me interpersonally to the extent that I've interacted with them. But I greatly hope for them that they get back yeah. on their grind. Um, yeah, yeah, they're Catholic now. Actually, <laughs> no. Are you serious? Get the fuck out I'm of here! Really serious? Oh, Jesus they're still Christ! Communist, but they're Catholic now. Which, okay. You know, yeah, they're, they're, they went Murphy. All right. Yeah, they That's they so joined the pedophile cult. <laughs> well, it's, the, the, it's like uh, what do they call it? Like um, cath bowls. Like. Yeah, cath bowls. <laughs> wow. Wow, that is very very awkward. Does not fit yeah, in the mouth. I mean, I have like I have some of them as like mutuals on my uh, on my uh, Twitter, which y'all will never know about because whatever. Uh but tweets. But, like, <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I, 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 I really can't stand the Catholic Church. It's just continually been a force of reaction throughout its mm-hmm. miserable existence. Like, yeah, there's, there's, and there's been people in my family who have dealt with like abuse from the Catholic Church. So, oh yeah, same here. So it's, yeah, it's yeah. you know, it touches. But the thing is, the Catholic Church today it seems to be like less of like a, like a core institute of evil. And it seems to have been replaced by evangelical Christianity, at least in the United. And but also, I noticed with uh, Bolsonaro, that's what he gets a lot of his support from is these evangelical Christians. Hmm. I mean, I think, I think it greatly um, depends you know, on the Catholics. Doesn't Trump like meet with evangelical Christian leaders like every year? Like, well, evangelicals were responsible for his success, more or less. Yeah. In the United in the United States, but like when in the United States, yeah. It's more evangelicals than Catholics, but the American Catholic Church is still like weirdly more conservative than even the European, like even like some of the European like churches. And like, in all honesty, is you know the church as a whole is just a relatively evil institution, a great evil institution actually. Just like the amounts of things that they have done, from supporting counter-revolutionary activity in Poland to helping Nazis escape, escape like, justice uh, after World so, War II. So, it was just... So this, this is so interesting, actually, because it's sort of a sidebar parallel conversation because <clears throat> their, their religion relies on a central authority. That central authority is, is incredibly corrupt and awful. However, <clears throat> individual Catholics can be decent, socially-minded people. And I've kind I can't help but see the parallel between communists who, you know, are politics. I hesitate to say ideology. I really don't think it's just that. But like what we need is some kind of centralized force. All the centralized forces that, you know, were conjured like in the past have these problems. But spe- specifically what's really frustrating is that the Communist Party USA is, is, is what it is. And so any any representative that we might have is terrible, but individual communists, good people, like often, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the Catholic Church is closer to a mass party than any organization in the United States, but that's a pretty low bar. Well, yeah, it seems like it's because it is like an institution, and there's like levels of mediation that it um, it's you can have a sort of a formal relationship to it that you can't with like evangelical stuff where it's all about like your personal relationship with Jesus. So it's like, yeah, you like being a Catholic, it's just, it's like one other job that you have, you know, like you're a homeowner, you're an employee, you're a parent, and then you're a Catholic. And it's just like one thing in the mix. Whereas with the evangelical stuff, it's, it's much more sporadic and like intense. And it's you know? and the evangelical stuff. It just almost, it also seems like more like neoliberal too. Like, well, it's capitalists. It's entrepreneurs. It's entrepreneurs versus this kind of like neo-feudal, like almost state-like structure. The Catholics are all into like uh, doing charity work and stuff. Like I had to volunteer at a soup kitchen that was run by Catholics when I was on probation. And, um, you know, they're all into like serving, you know, homeless people. and Well, evangelicals that do that stuff too. It's more like it's it's usually more framed in the like doing mission work, basically. So yeah, that's what like, I was saying. Say it's like evangelicals are seen to be more into like doing missionary work in like third world countries, which yeah. ends up being horrible for those countries. Right. 
Yeah, but wasn't the Catholic Church like a major part of like just like the Spaniards going in to like? Oh yeah, like the initial colonization was fueled by the Catholic and Catholic Church and their belief in creating God's dominion and stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty historically odious institution, and the the piety of the religion relies on the institution. Well, you had like uh, the purges of Jews and stuff and Muslims in Spain, the the Reconquista. And the Reconquista is basically has become taken by the far right as a kind of, you know, symbol of what we want to do in the Europe. You know, we want to reconquer Europe for Europeans the way the Catholic Church reconquered Spain for the Catholics. I, I like to send some of like those far right people to like live in like Euro trash Europe. It's like <laughs> live in the places where it's basically just like America, but weird, you know, with like Gabba, a, you know, with like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Stefan Molyneux went to Poland, and he was like, wow, I really love this. This is great, because there's oh, okay. not well, a lot of black some... people. Yeah. That stupid, weird, British-ish accent. I don't even oh, know yeah, what like, um, this accent is supposed to be. Visa... These, these, all these American right people of like the European right, but like the European right looks. I think it's more the other way around. The European right looks down on the Americans. Like they fucking a lot of them fucking <laughs> hate America, and they see America as part of the force. They, like, as we saw in Dugan, like the far right in a lot of these places, they see America as a force Cuck behind the like everything that's bad as much as Israel. But wow. um. I don't remember us talking about uh, this stuff two years ago, but what we did say about fascism two years ago was, I don't know, I I think we were all afraid that, at least I'll speak for myself, I was afraid that fascism was out organizing uh, us. I was was concerned that Trump was going to be handed executive power over, you know, immigration. Um, I was... I was trying to temper people's fear, but I think that I was probably more pessimistic and that of all things uh what richard spencer said that you reported donald um that either he's gonna like basically be i don't know if if richard spencer said this but i know this is what he means unless he's basically hitler for the first hundred days like then he's just gonna be a lame duck yeah like um it was maybe not have been richard spencer but it was on one of his podcasts i think it was actually andrew england the guy who runs daily stormer who made that like uh who held that line and like all the internet alt right kind of like went around it, but <laughs> my yeah, apologies, I, think, I, I credited the wrong Nazi. Well, That's yeah, exactly. But it was Richard Spencer on one of Richard <clears> Spencer's <throat> shows where they were talking about that, and I think that yeah, basically, corrections, like, swampside corrections. Well, uh, the thing is, is that you know Trump hasn't uh, unleashed a fascist dictator. I, I mean, I knew that he wasn't going. I knew that we weren't seeing like Pinochet. Oh, well, right, What's right, worried this, me this is guy... the rise of Bolsonaro. That was, like, what kind of, like, oh, like, fuck, like, world politics is kind of moving in this fucked up right-wing direction, and it's not just... There was there was some good reason to be afraid of Trump coming to power, though. This was a guy that got elected, in part, on anti-immigration sentiment, given executive power over immigration. And the, the, the truth is that the office has a lot of, like, soft, informal power limits, um, but well, let's not you know, remember our we government really is shut down right now because the of the border issue. Right, right. But how do I put this? Uh, it's almost 2020. Like, I don't know what 
what's actually going to come of this, how things are really going to change. Trump in his first 100 days, yes, he did the Muslim ban. He did some really odious stuff, but it was kind of targetedly odious. He could have done more just sweepingly awful things on immigration. He has tremendous executive power. He could probably get away with it because he's detached from the party apparatus. Like, Well, here's the thing. Like a lot of here's maybe what I mean, here's something that we actually did see coming, which was that a lot of the evil would just be Trump passing kind of the standard Republican shit. Right. Yeah, that, um, that was spot on. But one thing that I think we might have underestimated, because I know we were saying how at one point I think we said something to the effect that, you know, the FEMA camps and the concentration oh, yeah. camps, that was the new conspiracy theory or whatever. But actually, <laughs> as it turns out, as it turns out, um, you know, they're basically they're like, you know, putting kids in cages and like kids are getting molested and shit and like dying, like in, like in literal cages, which, uh, you know, were they, some- were they not dying in cages before? Yeah, that's. I mean, it, it, well, I mean, the, no the level, defense. There's no defense there. Like, well, no, but I, I mean, it actually has escalated in terms of its brutality because they didn't like separate yeah. their parents from yeah. their kids I before. Mean, well, Obama that's true. Technically, still deported more people. Trump has been more brutal about it in terms of like the treatment of like yeah the people yeah. being deported. He's basically violated like any semblance of decency to it from before, and like he's escalated it to like a new. He's escalated to like new levels of dehumanization. That's yeah. The, that's like the, the whole difference. thing about the migrant caravan was he wanted to take away the rights of legal immigration because right. the migrant caravan was seeking asylum legally into coming to the United States, and he wanted to take away their rights to legally seek asylum at any part of the border. And so that shows a real shift to the right. Even if Trump doesn't, even if Trump never deports as many people as Obama, like the fact that he has kind of shifted the political plane on that sense to where now it's acceptable to be against legal immigration, like that is bad. Yeah, that's, well, that's really bad. Well, they would not even be considered immigrants before Trump. They would not even be considered immigrants. They would be considered refugees. Right. 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 Yeah, I mean, they, they wouldn't have even talked about it. Instead, like, you know, he basically, in a, what was either a publicity stunt or a profound fit of stupidity, it's always hard to tell, he deployed, like, what, 9,000 troops to the border to basically wait for some people who were walking yeah. across, like, all of Mexico, you know, like... Well, I think that for Trump to really, like, do what, like, his hard-right fan base would want him to do, he would have to repeal... The, you know, he would have to repeal the Civil Rights Act and he'd have to, you know, repeal the immigration legislation that was made to undo the National Origins Act that basically allowed for non-European immigration to the United States. Well, here's what I'm like, saying. But, like, he, and he, he doesn't. He has more executive authority than he's exercising. And I know it's, yeah, it's that, horrific and I know it's humanitarian. On, on a humanitarian level, on a, on, a, on a human level, what's happening is extremely disturbing. And yeah, there's, there's a hard right turn in like immigration I, I, in it in action in policy it's bad but like this guy has a more has more power than he's wielding and that's what well, I here's, think- the, here's here's maybe what here's maybe what we didn't predict we didn't predict like maybe the sheer volume of administrative chaos like in the executive no, branch that's we true didn't, we we didn't predict how much of this hinges on his 
inability to have an attention span about anything. Like yeah. if, there, if the reports <laughs> from inside, no, I'm serious. Like You're right. if the reports from the if the reports from the inside the White House are correct, like so much hinges upon the fact that like if his underlings basically just like don't do what he says for a while, like he'll just forget about it. Like so much, so much of the maintenance of continuity between administrations right now functions on the fact that he doesn't really have plans for things. He just likes to say to people, "Hey, I want this done by Friday," and then you, they just don't do it and hope he forgets by Friday that he said that on Monday. So he's like this ineffective Bonapartist. Like he could be like this Bonapartist, where like different fractions of classes kind of like rule through him, and like he's kind of like you know a puppet for like the needs of all these different classes, like kind of above the state but no he's kind of no no he's he, he he's just too dumb like he can't actually like govern and so basically the state bureaucracy runs everything and trump is just like a figurehead well th- that there's there have been pretty much every every report or every like insider account i've heard has been pretty consistent on that point well, well, I mean, I'm talking about like what was the name of the porn star? Um, Stormy Daniels. Stormy Daniels account is relatively interesting because like what she portrays is like Trump basically not even wanting to win. Like his whole motivation <laughs> for running for office was actually just to get an NBC deal. Well, to get <laughs> NBC to pay him more yeah. for the apprentice. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> I mean, like, that seems that, very that possible was the to underlying me. motivation, and the fact well, that yeah. he was winning like completely terrified him. <laughs> <laughs> and it would explain, I, I hope it it's would, true. I hope it's it would true. explain like a whole lot about like the pre- like how he didn't have anyone selected beforehand in terms of his cabinet. Like usually, no, that's president. That that that, that come, jinxes it. That if you if you count your chickens before it hatches, that jinxes it. Well, no, no, most that was, his, that, that was his literal logic. That's what he told his underlings. Like, no, we don't want to jinx oh, it. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, no, like most most presidents, like they have their cabinets already selected, but Trump didn't have his cabinets all, didn't have like his cabinet members already selected. He didn't spend money on ads. He continually said outrageous things that just like you know, would crash any normal candidate's campaign, would would make an ass out of any normal candidate. Like, there have been politicians who've, like, just, you know, cried on television or, or you know, talked in French, like John Kerry, whose, like, careers essentially were, <laughs> like, like, that lost them the election. In yeah, the yeah. Or, that apparently or, um... lost what michael dukakis yeah he wore a helmet wearing a wearing a helmet in in a tank yeah well here's the thing though those guys were gay and trump's not gay so he can't do something like that (laughs) yeah you're you're really going for that come town money jake (laughs) shut the fuck up (laughs) you're fired you're fired get out of here hey i get i I get paid more than you do in this podcast we we need like a recorded stav laugh just to fill the dead air in the podcast, <laughs> just, just I'll like put that in the, the soundboard. Horrific. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about the opening lines. We, uh, Jake, you just you in the opening lines of the episode, you describe a, something that I've come to know as trauma. It's when there is a sudden situation that happens, and 
people are not sure how to make sense of it or what to do, just how to operationalize reality. How does one live in this world? Or like, you know, how did that just happen like I saw it did? Because it can't, but it did. And so right. you Welcome compared to the desert it, of the real. Yeah, you compared it to 9-11 in the opening lines. Um, yeah. So I, I can appreciate that there was something like that for the political world. That, you know, in the farcical way that politics is removed from society, that's the kind of tragedy that really affects them. Is that a, a, a guy, a, you know, a guy that was the wrong kind of rich got into the White House? <laughs> well, no, I mean, it, but it was also like 9-11 when I remember, like, I also experienced it kind of the same way, like 9-11. Like, I remember when I, like 9-11 <laughs> happened, it was just a thing on TV and you're like, damn, that's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> and then you start, but you start to think about it for a little bit and you're like, wait a second, like, like this changes everything, man. This changes everything, <laughs> you know? And it kind of yeah, does. I mean, one could argue that 9-11 was just as farcical as Trump getting elected. Like, Osama bin Laden didn't even know that al-Qaeda committed 9-11. Like, they were... So, yeah, bin Laden didn't blow up the projects. <laughs> yeah. It he was, was you, Bush. Tell the truth, like, Bush. Found- <laughs> he was just trying to get... He was just trying to get a higher uh, check from NBC. You know? But- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they found loose chain... Like, they found, like, multiple 9-11 uh, conspiracy theory documentaries and stuff like that on his hard drive. Well, I think, honestly, when, about that, uh, I actually think he was preparing his defense. And that's why they killed him. Because if he didn't, first of all, unless, maybe all this stuff, maybe maybe he actually didn't do it, right? Maybe he didn't do it and he was going to expose some shit. Or maybe he was in the pay of the CIA and he exposed some shit. Or, but here's my theory, he actually was involved, but he was going to be, but he was going to throw a bunch of conspiracy shit around when they tried to put him in the hag just to feed that internet, you know, feed that internet industry. And every, all the conspiracy people be like, see, he's trying to tell the truth about what happened, you know, and just to sh- like sow more chaos or whatever, which is a brilliant, that's what I would have done if I was him. No, but I can see like the comparison to 9-11 because like 9-11 was kind of like, you know, a, a bomb on U.S. world hegemony. In the same way that Trump was, and that I feel like the U.S. empire is truly in decline, and Trump is a system of it, a symptom of it, and that's why we're pulling out of Syria. That's why we pulled out of Yemen. That's why we're seeing liberals become neocons. We're seeing you know liberals become the, the you know really like calling for more aggression against Russia. No, I mean, it was a moment where undeniably where things went off script. Like, that was not the way things were were supposed to go. Like, like, the direction of history was impacted in a fundamental way, almost, by an event, you know? And and, and this this was... Yeah, and it kind of shows, like, how fragile, like, political institutions are. And I don't really buy that, like, it's it's the political being separate from society. Because Trump was able to... Yeah, definitely not. Because Trump was able to win because he had mass resonance in society. And people... But why? uh, Because he was, you know, it's kind of a patriarchal, like symbol for them to identify with yeah. of, and, and put into place their desires for a you know for change and okay that's part that's part of why but i think if you're a marxist you also have to think about like the class rage that's being channeled into a fuck you vote like it's just it's impossible 
It's not really class race. It's interclassist. Yeah, it's, it's not about class. It is, it inter, is about, it's, no, it's, it's about po like political unless class. Unless you count the settler, right. unless you count like the remnants of the settler population as class. Yeah, actually, it's petty bourgeois. In that case, it is yeah, actually about class. Like, this, the, yes, the, this represents only like uh, a vanishing section of people, and it does not represent a, like, the broader American population. There, there's like, like so it represents is that it, it, like especially our institutions, the United States. I mean, really, like the the, the there constitution. There was a significant portion of like decellarized whites that like voted in like West Virginia for Trump, but at the same time, the bulk of his support was de was cellarized whites who felt their cultural concerns, their cultural whiteness, or the what Du Bois would call the, the invisible wage of whiteness being attacked culturally. Yeah, like, um, another way to look at it is in a post-colonial world, like, it's it, the, the labor market is more international now, and so workers see, like, they're, like, you know, they see having themselves as having to compete more against like non-white workers. And so they're kind of this white kind of identity that was cohesive in American history is kind of under attack by, you know, all kinds of different factors. And I feel there are real gains made in the civil rights movement and real gains of feminism that were made. And this kind of privileged, you know, white settler class or petty bourgeois labor aristocracy section of society sees, you know, their privileges kind of falling away and they identify with someone like Trump. Right. I think that's totally what it's about. It's something so, that comes from society. It's they, not like... They identify something... They identify with Trump. It's part of society, sure. But then how come the... If all this is true, and, it, you know, all, all of it is, but if it's as significant as you're saying it is... Why haven't the fascists done a better job over the last two years? Because one of the other things that we talked about that I think you know we didn't quite get right is that the, the fascists were going to shoot themselves in the foot, essentially. I have an explanation for this. But All like, right. hear me out. Is it, me it, out. is it more individualistic? Is it a class selection of who are Nazis no, it's, are? No, it's, it's, simply, it? it's simply this. Like, if you want to um, kill black people and terrorize you know, poor people in America... You don't have to join, like, some weirdo fascist gang. You can just join the police. Like, and that's really, like, like you don't need a fascist movement because our, our state is reactionary enough as it is. In that, and, in, that, in that episode, we talked a little bit about the kind of the, the twilight of, like, Black Lives Matter. And in the, in the two years since, you know, we've seen an explosion of fucking Blue Lives Matter. I see, I see Blue Lives Matter shit everywhere. It's fucking everywhere. Any parking lot I'm in, someone's got a fucking Blue Lives Matter sticker on. I don't. I drive through and most like like a. If I drive through a neighborhood, there's a good chance that someone will have a Blue Lives Matter flag in their yeah, front lawn. Everybody fucking hates those people. Like a lot of people hate those people. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and like on the more culturally liberal side of society, yeah, that's a joke. But like, that's like you know we're communists, and our peers are more likely to be like left leaning. True. Like, and I, I know true. I have friends who are chuds and MAGA, you know, who yeah, are into but, this but stuff, there, and they they have they they laugh at what I say, like you know, like but there are they laugh at Black lean, Lives Matter. There are people that lean conservative that find the Blue Lives Matter stuff annoying, like because yeah, they're, yeah, they're not necessarily I mean, there's leftists that find Black Lives Matter annoying, and it's almost yeah because it's kind of like you know it's heartfelt and 
sympathetic and humanistic almost. So it's like, oh, you know, no, no lives matter. It's like, you know, how a lot of the more cynical leftists and alt-right people would like, you know, respond to something like Black Lives Matter. But like the point so, is... So, so what's the so point with the mirror these... here? What does that mean? Well, the, well, okay, so the, the point I was bringing that up is like, to kind of a tag on what Donald said, where basically, you know, you don't have to join some weird fashy gang. You can just like support the police or whatever. You know, right. you can just uh, you join the military. Like... Like they're already like outlets in the cap in the capitalist state for like that kind of revanchism, you know. So that yeah. that's, that that's partly why like yeah. the the full on fascists haven't been able to capitalize on this in the same way. And also, like you have to look at the history of like actual hard right like politics in America. And at this point, like the strategy they have is basically like really it's either to do entryism in the Republican Party. And to try to fight for like a like legislation that will promote a white supermajority, or and and they see this as basically just like all you can do to stop the rising tide of color, as they would call it. Which, or by the way, the, uh, so far, so far, mission accomplished. And yeah. or 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 they would see it as basically, uh, you know, the job is to just do spontaneous terrorist acts that will bring about the race war, and that's what the more like like the. The people who believe in that stuff are like Adam Waffen division, and you know they've actually killed like maybe like four people at this point. But and, you know it's like you know it's just it makes more sense to just join the police. Yeah, uh, you know what i i can I can accept that. However, like I think you're underestimating what people that aren't exactly blue lives matter crowd why some of them would have voted for trump a lot of them probably right. regret it i think this is relevant because i sound like i i sound to me listening to myself back then i thought two things first of all my voice was like and like a fourth lower second of all <laughs> um, i was so, like, I just would had extended charity for the political, like the left, the emergent left of politics. And I, I truly wanted to see something that was, you know, something that could escape the bounds of the anti-Bush years that, you know, we all saw coming that this is, you know, welcome, welcome to anti-Bush again. Like yeah, that was that like was... it. Would, it would be like if Bush never started the Iraq War, so things never really got popping off, but it was well, still annoying. Honestly, i I feel like the le- I feel like the left has actually gotten less involved and like less absorbed into the Democratic Party. To a s- wait, wait, never mind. I think that the I think I think the I think you have the rise of the DSA, and that was. You know, that was, you know, as much of a disappointment as that is, you know, we all saw that coming. It's still, you know, a step forward in what the real movement or whatever you want to call it is. There there have been steps forward and it hasn't all been like ruined by the Democrats. And a lot of leftists are pretty critical of the quote unquote resistance and all like the nonsense, like popular front anti-Trumpism. I think that it's like, it's not as bad as we might have seen it coming. I mean, I I want to like I was saying how you know my that was my that was my great nightmare was that it would be just be like the Bush years two and actually it I don't think it really has at all. 
Like, I think that it's actually it's actually been much, much weirder, <laughs> like much. For, uh, first of all, th- there's a big difference in that there's a lot more like administrative chaos at the top. That's one thing. So it's because because, you know, with the Bush years, you basically had like the was the Bush administration was basically the Dick Dick Cheney machine. And Dick Cheney was an extremely like skilled political operator who was capable of, you know, steering a a somewhat coherent, if although ultimately in the long run, disastrous agenda. Right. That Trump doesn't really the Trump administration doesn't really had that. You had for a while Steve Bannon, but he was kind of a weirdly rogue operator. But he's out. There's been all this turnover. You know, there's really no there's really no one. You know, I mean, the Trump's in charge, but he again, like he just reacts to what he sees on the news. He doesn't have like a, you know, Bismarckian fucking or Henry Kissinger esque like real politic like long form view of what American state pol- and corporate policy should be. You know, he just kind of has like his vague intuitions. You know, the Trump administration is like, what if the Bush? What if Bush had actually been in charge of the Bush administration? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's the thing I always think is that like. God, everything I hear about the Trump administration is what liberals told me about the Bush administration. But when yes. I went to go look it up in a book, Bush actually, you know, he was he had like a kind of dumb charm about him, but he kind of like was more or less self-aware. Trump yeah. is really what they told us Bush yeah. was. That was yeah. more of a Tr- shift Tr- than anything else. Like the whole Bush. Oh, yeah, yeah, he went to fucking you know, uh, yeah. Bush, uh, he's like he's like in Connecticut. Fuck this guy. I mean, he, he. I mean, yeah, he, he. Yeah, I mean, he yeah, kind of went to, to get yeah, in. But anyway, skull and bones. He's no country boy. Yeah, I, I, I'm in. I'm in Connecticut right now. I'm not far from Yale. I can tell you. But honestly, like Bush actually does kind of accurately represent like all the jackoffs who like move to Texas and like buy a truck and the fucking ten gallon hat and oh, become sure. cowboys or whatever. But, but I was gonna say, um, speaking yeah, more broadly Hillary about moved to New you know, York. like the, <laughs> yeah, the left in general. Like it is like and just or the political scheme in general, it's just much weirder. Like you have you have like the you know, the Russia hysteria stuff, you have like the QAnon cult, you have I wanna get into that in a second, but you know, or you have like for instance, um you don't have the same kind of I mean they tried to do this with the whole, you know, pussy hat thing or the women's march or whatever <laughs> I don't think they called it the pussy hat thing, but you know, the women's <laughs> I march. I don't think they called it that. But that's how they became known, even among some radicals, because a lot of trans people were angry about that. Were they? What was uh, anyway? Uh, yeah, um, if if you think about it, if a bunch of women that don't have pussies are being confronted with uh, pussy as a symbol for woman just leaves a bad taste uh, okay. in their mouth. Oh okay, yeah, the whole the whole pussy hat thing was just stupid. Like that was just peer peak like like white feminism. As yes, call it. so like, it, it, it it's kind of weird how like these anti feminist memes can be easily like adapted because of how toxic like you know white feminism can be. And we we understand white feminism to be this nominalist entity that is not literally any white person doing I feminism. Mean, why do we call it white feminism specifically? Because I don't think transphobia is like specifically like, white. Yeah. Well, I think uh, just in this in this in like, this instance specifically instance, it was very white. Like the women's right. march, like they brag about how the leadership was like super multicultural and whatnot. But like literally, this like the second time they tried to have it, they canceled it because it was too white. Oh, that was the funniest thing. <laughs> Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. We, didn't, we didn't see that one coming. I mean, it's in Portland. <laughs> what do they want? Yeah, I mean. The stuff involving the women's march is actually more wild than anyone could possibly 
possibly anticipated because uh, there's there listen, was one listen of the activists. Listen to how sweet was, face I was. They listen had how like, there was this whole right wing panic like, over. Um, let's 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 put a pin in this. I just want to finish. Let me finish my point real quick because we'll probably get back to this because there were points that we because we we talked about this during the thing and we'll. We'll, let's, we'll put the pin in this for a second. I just want to finish my point and basically say that there wasn't like the efforts at like mass mobile. Besides that, there weren't like these kind of like efforts at mass mobilization or marveling at the level of mass mobilizations that you had, like, say, during the Bush years. Right. But there does seem to be there does seem to be like an effort, at, you know, in, in stuff like the DSA you know at institution building there's a more conscious need for like in, like institution building than existed then i think and i mean you know the dsa's the dsa's obviously we're extremely critical of the dsa's you know democratic entryism but i i mean i do seem to see online a lot of people who are supportive of it have more of a critical distance to it than i expected there to be yeah i'm gonna go with jay here and say there has been a conscious like recognizing on in the left of like that this occupy kind of spontaneous populist stuff doesn't work and now we have to like go in the long haul and build actual institutions and you know i think that's the right direction for the left to be going in i don't see how you know, and that's uh, I'm I'm not saying it's it's in a, that's in a great state or we've made enough headway so in that direction. I definitely but want to pick to up on that. Years, so I, I yeah, agree with it. you that far, Rosa. What were you going to say before? Uh, yeah, the stuff with the women's march is actually pretty wild. Yeah, let's talk about the women's march. And I think we need to because I was so bright eyed and bushy tailed for like, look, <laughs> can we just open ourselves well, to the possibility of something happening? And you know what? I, I have soured tremendously on well, these things. Well, you know things. what? Here's the problem. They called for a general strike and just completely discredited themselves. <laughs> we fucking called it. No, the Women's March was yeah. better than I could have ever imagined. Like, the way it's breaking down now, it's so it's so great. <laughs> well, I had, got, I had, got, I, I I had already, of, like, Rosa. lost my faith in these kind of things at that point. No, but like, anyway, Rosa? Like, so basically what's going on right now is apparently it got infiltrated by weirdly anti-Semitic black activists or something like that. Huh. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, Nation of Islam related people, right? Mm. Yeah, Nation of Islam related people. <laughs> it's, well, oh God. I think a lot of it is also like right-wing moral panic. Like, I think like kind of like what happened was one of the organizers also is like a community organizer who works with like Nation of Islam people because Nation of Islam does a lot of, like, base building, basically, and they do have a presence in, like, you know, poor black neighborhoods doing, like, you know, mutual aid, base building type stuff, like, as, you know, fucked up as they are, and they do operate as kind of a racket, but, oh, not just kind of a racket, but, like, yeah, you know, me yeah, and yeah. Jake can Scientology. talk a lot about the kind of shit they did in uh, Tampa. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah we, we they also... Stories. They, they, yeah, we me and Jake have some nutty stories. About I, 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 I joined the Nation of Islam for a while. It was a, it was a fucked up phase, but anyway. He's joking, okay? But the point is, is like, um, I don't know. There's also like freak out about Linda Sarsour, like that she was like an Islamist and stuff because like, she was a Muslim. And like, there's, uh, there's like a lot of like kind of like right wing, like moral panic about like, oh, the. So I have to, I think, um, but yeah, like, uh, so is that kind of like what the split in the women's march yeah, is well, about? There was actually like a few, like a few of them. Like I read like an article, and admittedly, it was from it was from a right wing source. But like there, there was like like a woman who like left specifically because like she went in and 
they lectured to her about her Jewish privilege, and they talked about how, like, specifically she was, like, you know, how the Jews were part of the slave trade and that sort of thing. And then she she, she was, at first, she was oh, accepting of it. She was like, oh, no, that, that no, seems pretty no. interesting. I better look this up. And she looked up the Jewish slave trade thing, and mm, it's coming from Miss Farrakhan. It's coming from Farrakhan. <laughs> You know, that's a big anti-Semitic talking point. Yeah. What a cool dude. Uh, that, that Farrakhan and his stories. Yeah. No, but that's what sucks about, like, a lot of this, like, identity politics. It's just how it divides people. How it often just becomes, like, a way for leftists to make excuses for what can be reactionary cultural nationalism. Yeah, well, you need to, you well, need to check your privilege and consider what the Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing that, yeah. that, that th- the thing about a Jewish um, thing about the Jews and the slave trade is it's a classic white nationalist trope, and it's kind of it's 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 a perfectly crafted piece of ideology. Now that is ideology. It's a perfectly crafted piece of ideology to be per- like perfectly divisive to exploit the natural kind. I don't want to say natural, but to exploit like the real divisions yeah. that you know exist in places where you know blacks and Jews and white Jews specifically would coexist. You know, side by side in cities. It's interesting because yeah. in Harlem, like um, white Jewish communists like organized with um, black like uh, communists, and it was interesting how. There was kind of a struggle against like a lot of the anti-Semitism that we, a lot of the like cultural type nationalists were a preaching. Lot of, a lot of the anti, a lot of the anti-Semitic resentment uh, that that like bubbles up in like urban communities generally comes from like Orthodox Jews just being massive assholes, like randomly calling the cops on black people and like trying to kick them out of the neighborhoods and things like that. Yeah, Orthodox Jews in New York are the absolute worst. And like New Jersey too, but they're anti-Zionist Jews, so we yeah, need to support yeah. them. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you see the lot. The like left's like, look at these Orthodox yeah. Jews who don't support Israel, and it's like, but they're also like basically like just really reactionary fundamentalists. Like, yeah, yeah. It, I think it's actually sort of a weirdly natural course for like neoliberal identity politics people who are like really into, like, sort of, like, soft black nationalism to get involved with, like, Farrakhan. Like, when you look at their politics, like... But it's also, like, ignoring that there is, like, a history of kind of, like, black power, like, soft black nationalist politics that actively rejected that stuff in America. Yeah, yeah, right, but but specifically their kind of black nationalism, which is detached from real black, like... You know, when you when you look at Farrakhan's like mass overall message and the message of the nation of Islam, it's building up black communities through small businesses, that sort of thing, and through disciplining themselves. And that's the general message for like That fits in so for, well with neoliberalism. Yeah, it fits perfectly with neoliberalism, you know. It's like it's woke enough to where, oh yeah, the white man has been doing these things to undermine us, but at the same time, you know, it's small business men who are going to bring us up. You know, there, there's, uh, what there's, I'm forgetting that. This whole concept they have of like uplift is this idea of, of communities, like they need to build themselves up. And so what they need to do is like become good capitalists. Who was, who was that weird guy that was claiming, who was that weird 
quote unquote activist guy who was claiming Dere to represent McKesson? Black Lives Matter that was like pushing for yeah, charter Dere school. McKesson. Yeah, yeah. There's there's very little separating him from Farrakhan. Hmm. There's there's huh. just like like the only thing that separates them is one is like more wing nutty than the other in terms of their politics. Yeah, in in terms like, of like yeah, you watch their feet and not their like ideology. Yeah. Because yeah. it honestly isn't even like the best aspects of like Black Lives Matter was it had a kind of like racial integrationist message. Like it was about like we want to be able to walk around in society and not be harassed by police. Like we don't want the color of our skin to be like a mark that like makes us criminals in society. And that's a fight like that's a very basic democratic right. But, you know, you can see how you know, in in the failure of these spontaneous riots to really do anything, you can kind of see how people would turn to a kind of soft black like cultural nationalism. Yeah, it's not it's not altogether unsimilar from like what happened with the new left, you know, turning towards like smaller groups. It's it's a very, it's when movements die down. That's where that's where a lot of people go, or not well, a yeah, lot of people like, go, but some. I think like. I feel like some a, a lot of people like went to the women's march and then like a couple months later were like, "Oh, that was such liberal bullshit. I'm radical now. Like, I can't believe I believe in like that kind of nonsense." Like, there were a I, lot I've of people who doubled sort of down on that before. shit, though. There's a lot of people there who are, doubled down on that shit. Yeah. Oh yeah, and you still, you know. I, but yeah, I think I think a lot of people saw though because they had subsequent women's marches. I mean, you know, the dissolution out and like people saw how. You know, because the women march that, that was like the stronghold of like the quote unquote resistance left, and people saw how those people don't show up. Like those people went out once, changed nothing, and then basically stayed home, watched MSNBC, and tweeted. You know, so uh, that I think I think for a lot of people who were a little more a little more serious minded, that probably you know that probably had a an effect. Yeah. Also, I want to I want to like take a moment to push back on like the idea that the how popular the Nation of Islam is in the black community. What is? Oh yeah, it's not yeah. super popular, but they 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 do have like real estate yeah. and have like a presence in the black community. But the thing is, is that they're like parasitic on other black people, and so they get a huge like reputation yeah, like, as being hated amongst. The DSA is actually larger than the Nation of Islam. Wow! Oh, wow! Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm going yeah, to yeah, like Wikipedia. Nation of Islam, I think Nation of Islam has been in decline yeah, they've for a been while. On he- yeah, they've been on heavy decline. Like basically, Farrakhan like refounded the church after like they they had like a major uh, the Nation of Islam after they had like a major schism and like the the whole thing went like tumbling down. But like, but the thing is. Is that they are pretty disciplined, so they punch above their weight, unlike the DSA. Yeah, yeah. Talking over women as usual, Donald. God. Um. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. There, there was this, there was this fucking really nutty Maoist. Uh, I'm forgetting red, red, uh, red black Maoist or something like that. Not familiar. I, yeah, whatever. He wrote this batshit, like, poem about Mao being black, and, like, he had, like, another article explaining why, you know, black, how 
why black people are more willing to join the nation of Islam than than uh, than the left, and it's like, I yeah, like obviously there's more black people in the nation of Islam than the DSA because it's all black people, but give black people credit. They're smart enough to see through this shit. They don't, they don't fucking join the nation of Islam. And they aren't attracted to weird, hyper black nationalism. They aren't attracted to that kind of shit as much as like fucking weird, weird malice tend to think. I don't know. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Uh, Blaz is that that guy, Black Red Guard. He he's like a yeah, he's like a like a black nationalist Maoist, and I think he might actually be like XNOI. So this all ties into something I I wanted to talk about because our predictions for the left I think were I suppose pessimistic, right? Like, um, I mean, I was I was right eyed and bushy tailed, but there was the specter of um, Bush anti Bush two point um, I remember at one point I think so, I think you said like they'll have to do something and I was like yeah so it's not going to happen then <laughs> right I forget the exact yeah 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 no I I think I was more optimistic um, about possibilities I didn't I also didn't see it going in and at least I didn't say on the podcast I feel I feel I think that I thought this privately but I didn't say this on the podcast is that that there would be more of an organized left um, but like. I didn't know how far that was going to go. I doubted it would go, you know, much further than it already had. Um, the development of now, so here's the thing: I was really, I was very hopeful about the prospect of there being a pole of opposition to the DSA that would form naturally the dialectic moving forward. Did not expect that new Marxist center to be more or less anti-revisionism. Um, not specifically referring to the Marxist Center group, it seems like the most visible tendency like that ha- has been kind of Stalinist, like la- lash- la- latching on to Stalin as a mythic symbol specifically, oh, or Mao. I'd say Trotskyism actually has done better than... Yeah, like, yeah, um, no, Philly, Philly Socialist is probably like the largest Marxist Center organization, and they're, they're big into Raper. Mm, yeah, but so what's their background though? I mean, they're not, they don't have a Maoist background. Are you sure about that? They're, I mean, but they're leaning more I towards Hal Draper they now. have people who like yeah, Mao. There, there's yeah, a lot of like, overlap I mean, between like the, the Leninist wave after the recession of the new left. Game recognized I mean, game. I mean, just like at Philly socialists, like their delegates, like, you know, they basically were against like the ML line at the conference. So I think, I don't really think that you can say that it's anti-revisionism. Uh, I'm, I'm not even really talking about them. I'm talking about more, honestly, more visible shit in social media. Like I, I respect what they're trying to do there, but you know, spectacular bullshit reaches a lot of people. The PSL people. Yeah, that's... Yeah, those are PSL burnouts. Those people genuinely... Not gonna lie, those people scare me. I mean, I'm sympathetic to, like, decolonial politics and even some Radfem politics, but they they take it to a level where, like, they might as well be, like, FBI, CIA wreckers, honestly. They go go that far in in that direction. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's what I didn't expect. Yeah, but I think, like, this is the thing about PSL, is that, like, 
a lot of people, you can join PSL without actually having to like organize basically. And so a lot of people who just get radicalized on the internet and are like online tankies or whatever. And like, they just like, you know, like a lot of, a lot of these people who like on Twitter who are posting like super edgy tanky stuff, they're just kids like at home who they're not organizing. They're not like out doing things like, yes, but, does it but matter? Yeah, it did. <laughs> they're like the PSL burnout, the PSL tanky kid burnouts are like organizing themselves into like a clique of quote unquote materialist feminists who are just like posting weird ass takes like heterosexuality is abused. No one's actually heterosexual. It's just like shit like that. It's just like that does I sound like a it. troll. I kind of get it, but at the same time, it's like, you know. <sighs> I, it's, you don't want to make takes like that when you're doing No, I see what you're saying, Rose, is that there's, like, a really, like, it's kind of, like, what I'm saying is that there's, like, this collision between, like, this, um, kind of cultural nationalist identitarianism with this, uh, kind of radical, uh, anti, like, revisionist, like, Stalinism. It's, it's, like, they're more concerned with, like, moralistic, like, I, I don't want to say virtue signaling, but, you know, they're more concerned with, like, making these hot virtue takes signaling. online okay. and, like, like, you know, taking the hardline stance against, like, you know, yeah. settlers and homosexuality and, I mean, heterosexuality and all these things instead of, you know, thinking about their what they want in terms, in practical terms, thinking about what they want in practical terms. Well, that's because they're not practical people. Like, a lot of these, like, you know, like they're not out actually trying to organize. Like, they're just Twitter people. Like, and that's why I think, like, it's, it's you know, like, the actual practical people, like, in America are overwhelmingly anarchists. And, you know, it's, it's yeah, you do have, like, a lot of Mao-influenced organizers, but, like, it tends to be a more flexible type of Maoism that's, you know, not really, like, super, like, rigid and ML even. It's more, like, spontaneous Maoism or, you know, kind of, like, anarcho-Maoist type shit. Like, like, I don't know, like, say, say, like, the politics of, like, say someone like Boots Riley. Like, his politics, in my opinion, kind of, like, it's, like, it's kind of, like, a mix of, like, like, official communism, but with, like, you know, you know, we want to have direct democracy type things and, you know, spontaneous action and the mass line and, I don't know, it's like libertarian Maoism, I guess. I don't know how to put it. Well, regardless... Like, I don't think that's anti-revisionism. new left Maoism or not. Like, so, all I was bringing this up is to say, I didn't really see this coming. I was always hoping that DSA would produce a dialectical opposite, but it may just be a Baudrillardian mirror. Anyway. I mean... I don't know. I'm actually weirdly more optimistic these days. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Um, I know. We 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 flipped. Uh, we uh, switched medications. It sounds like. <laughs> well, I think is I don't even know what the basis. Of, I don't know. I don't even know what the basis of my optimism is. I guess maybe right. my expectations have become so lowered <laughs> that I think that. I know. I see. I see how. Um, I guess people like like people's reactions to things and their consciousness has I think shifted above where I expected it to be. Like I really expected things to go back to just hey man, we gotta 
we got to vote for the fucking Democrat Democrats, blah blah blah. It seems like it seems like even the people who are excited about like you know Casio Cortez or whatever do have some kind of critical. Di- not everybody, obviously, there's morons, but there are a lot more people who have like a critical distance towards it than I expected. And so yeah, they tend to be social demo. They tend to be social dem. Democrats that at least call themselves Marxists and are pretending to have a strategy to break with the Democratic Party rather than like right, just people who are hoping to ride the wave of resistance. I mean, but but would you wouldn't wouldn't you rather have that than have people be like yeah, I think like would I you hate- rather have that have that than people be like you know like all in like you know like they're not Hillary bots about this shit. You know what I mean? Like I don't. Know. I understand what you mean. Yeah, exactly. Like, wouldn't you rather have, like, people be, like, you know, in social Democrats who are kind of militant about it than be just, like, straight-up Hillary bots? Like, When you look at the Green New Deal, it's at least, like, somewhat mildly appealing social democracy. Well, that's the other thing. Part of it is, um, like, the thing that might have actually battered me about, like, Trump the most is the thing that we never even talked about, like, on the first episode, which is, like, the environmental angle. Like that's actually like scarier to me than anything else. And, yeah, like you know, tearing up the EPA, basically. Well, and also just like I've I've been reading lately about like the mass, like the declines in like just like biomass in terms of species. Like we have half the amount of fish we used to, probably less than half the amount of bugs we used to from last century. You know, yeah. bird populations are rapidly in decline, and not just like like species like, like just like the mass of them like all of them yeah like not, it's 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 really scary like to be to be fair i'm i'm not a fan of social democracy but like the green new deal thing that was put forward by a- aoc is actually was legitimately good for a social democratic plan for like dealing with climate well like, it's for it's the it's never going to happen, but at least it acknowledges that you can't just have like a tax. You can't just do this or that. Like you actually have to change the fundamental infrastructure of the society. You know, it's a good like, point. Yeah, it's a program. It's an actual plan. It actually brings like the political like dimension of changing the state and engaging with state power to change society back into like the mind of the left. Because why do uh, why does everybody like shit on Al Gore so much? Well, because like he the solutions just clearly aren't to the scale of the problem, and so people want like get suspicious of that. We're like, well, you say there's this apocalyptic thing, but what you want is like more a little more investment in solar companies that you are involved in and some taxes. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you you know like it like it is clear the problem. You basically have to retool like the entire infrastructure of the society in order to address this problem, and the fact that at least somebody like on a national stage is talking about that and not just like telling people to become vegans or fucking drive a hybrid or you know support a carbon tax we can agree this is a low bar though right and but but here's the thing it might it might be the end of the fucking species though it might be the end of the fucking species just putting if it takes social democracy that is able to curb it, like capitalism for humanity like, to survive well, not, not literally is, like we don't the species don't will go have, on it'll just suck really bad yeah we literally like, don't have much time i mean yeah if you can call that if you call like we could be like a handful of biodomes so so lexi why is that not like a call for more militant I mean, action and actually like taking the, like this stuff more seriously and like organizing more i just i just don't want to don't want to inflate the rest yeah yeah the thing is, the thing is, like, it's going to be eco-genocide if we don't do something here, in the here and now. And, like, even though the Green New Deal is, like, a long shot at this point, like, 
the idea of like the United States being able to reduce like carbon emissions to zero within ten years, which is what it's aiming to do, aiming to do and like putting forward while balancing like the economic effects of that is like generally a I, I would say it's a good thing. And under like a dictatorship of pro proletariat, you would have to basically have some sort of like similar program to that. I agree with the shoulds here, but the description, like is is putting forward a, a Green New Deal this way, is that more likely to solve the environmental crisis than sending a letter bomb to the CEO of Oracle? Really? Um, yes. Okay. Yes. I should yes. Think, uh, yes. Do, 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 you, do yes. you think that the Democrats are going to pick up the Green New Deal? No. That, no. Then how is it going to no. get there? Because I think that by actually advocating for those things, you basically put the idea out there and it becomes something that is on, you know, on the table, at least in people's minds politically, which means, you know, you can actually it, 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 it points towards you something. can build a mass movement agitating to take the Green New Deal further. Like you could use these demands and like this, like the way that five for 15 kind of did. like you can latch on to this demand. And you can you can you know we can build movements around them like and push these demands further than what you know the Democrats and then you know may have like it's we have this, to think like strategically and politically about the situation is so we should urgent, avoid though. the transitional program as known by Trotsky yeah so. yeah I'm not That's advocating for the transitional program what I'm saying yeah, is yeah. that something like the Green New Deal is something we need to agitate yeah, around like, and be like listen like yes these are measures but they need to be taken by you know, government that's more determined to fight poverty well, yeah. and more determined to fight the capitalist class. So the, tra the transitional program thing just gets me because we all agree that this isn't going to happen through the electoral mechanisms. Like, so uh, promoting it in that way would be dishonest if you're lobbying for something that, you know, you don't think can be implemented. We, we well, need I'm not to saying we should lobby for it. I, I'm I'm not advocating for lobbying the new Green Deal. I'm advocating for something, some kind of program that would advocate for what heavier state involvement in, like a heavier, like the heavy kind of state planning that would be involved in, like the um, involved in just you know dealing with climate change. You know, o o eco war economy essentially. Here's all that I'm claiming. Here's all that I'm claiming is is that I think. That somebody advocating for this is a net positive. <laughs> I, I, I and, can agree with that, Jake. I can agree with that. And I, th and I think that the fact that people are starting to think in these terms openly, you know, is again. I think that's like a, I. Well, I, I feel like there's like there's an incremental step in the right direction, even though it's not you know anywhere close to what it needs to be. And so for that reason, I guess I'm optimistic. But part of that probably stems from you know, diminished expectations on my part and right. me, you know, like I said, the environmental thing has basically broken me. You know, I, I'm a I, broken man. I can understand this, but the problem is that that kind of desperation can drive us into short term to just the short termism. And so that makes sense because it's such a horrific situation, but unfortunately mm -hmm. it has the, the kind of perverse effect of driving us into the short-term instrumental reason loop that we don't have time to be in anymore. You know, if we well, but but has it done that to me though? I mean, yeah, I don't think like that's the case. Mildly, like, that just I, that I, seems I to be like, like I don't think so. I, I all I'm saying is I'm mildly I am mildly sanguine about you know like the Bernie Sanders uh, left in a way that maybe I wasn't two years ago. 
That's all I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, and I think that, like, if, like, for example, like, you had, like, eco-terrorism, like, developing as a result, you know, and you had, like, actual, like, militant, like, you know, like, really stupid, like, anti-tech militant, like, primitivist, like, stuff developing as, like, as, you know, in response to the terror of climate change, then, yeah, you'd have a point, but I don't think that that's happening right now in the left. And think, well, if no, anything, we that, have that to get more serious and more, like, militant and realize, actually, no, there's a, there's a fucking time like there's a clock that tells us how long we have until we can you know potentially actually you know make this strategy of patience work like i'm not saying we should have like you know get rid of a strategy of patience but we just have to realize that like you know there's gonna be you know the window in which this strategy like can potentially work has is is, is being shortened this, so there's that. This, but this can this can justify anything, which is why I brought up sending letter bombs to the CEO of Oracle. Yeah, and I'm I saying mean, that people aren't doing that, so I don't know why you're like you know so concerned. No, 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 no. This is why. This is why is because we're going to be routed. This this is going to be routed into the Democratic Party because I'm, I'm Jake is right that this is a good turn in consciousness. What I guess what upsets me. Is that I don't think Bernie Sanders could ever really pull off like a, a you know really taking advantage of a socialist base in the way that I think AOC can. AOC represents the future of the Democratic Party in a in a in a way of seducing the socialist base back into the Democratic Party over and over again. I mean, here's the thing: if the if the if the Democratic Party ever ran on a platform of we're going to nationalize the entire energy infrastructure and reduce carbon emissions in five years, you're goddamn ready to vote for Democrats. <laughs> sorry, don't they run on that? Oh shit! Don't don't sorry. Don't they, don't no, they, they don't. run? No, they shit, don't though. actually. They no, don't they, run on it. No, they don't. When, no, when, no, they don't. Oh, yeah, like, nationalizing Sanders never called for the nationalization That's of right, anything. Yeah. Literally nothing. And he's supposed to be the most radical voice in the death. Even Dennis Kucinich, I don't think, has ever called for the nationalization of anything. Like, the Green, Green New Deal at least offers some kind of Keynesianism at the bare minimum. And if you could yeah, actually... Yeah, it's just, like not fucking Cuba, but... If you could take the argument further and, you know, point out, you know, this is a war economy, you know, you need something... You need a war economy to really respond to ecological crisis. You could argue for further... You could argue for straightforward economic planning... And, you I don't, know, I don't have a problem. A I, I don't have a problem with the policy as much as the the chance that the policy will be implemented, like, and what it will mean for us practically. Because if this could work, this would save everything. Yeah, it's like a step forward that we can use everything. to agitate. Dude, so many people are gonna be so mad at us for this conversation. Why? Like, I don't know. It's. I mean, I think. I hear Lexi's concerns, and I think people are going to be like, they're fucking cooking out for the Democrats. But I think it's clear that we're not because, you know, we actually do have, like, you know, political standards here. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, like, I'm not cooking up for the Democrats at all. I'm just saying that, like, we need to base build and, like, actually party build now and not just, like, wait till the right moment. Right. Well, so, okay. I mean, I th- maybe we've, have we, have we exhausted this line of inquiry? Have I have I made have I made my vague position clear enough? Well, I think all Jake is saying that there's a shift in the Overton window to the left. You know, that's yeah. I don't think you're saying anything like out of line. Yeah, like, the, I, yeah. Basically, I mean, yeah. I was just saying. I just think Jake is just saying that there's been a shift in the Overton window to the left because of the Green New Deal. 
And that's generally a positive thing for people who want to implement a radical policy of I mean, like, overthrowing the state and you know, having a plan. Let's roll economy. it back slightly, though, because like so far, the DSA Democrats have only had a limited amount of electoral success. Very limited. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, like this is what I'm trying to get at. Like they weren't able to win in Florida, um, and they weren't able to win anywhere outside of like their New York high. Right. Well, they. I mean, they. They. But they actually did do better than. Like, I, I think. I think what's like Gilliam did actually do better than previous Democrats had, even though he didn't. Yeah, win. But, but what are the chances that aligning with the Democrats is going to work? There's no chance because, uh, like, this is. They keep saying we're trying to argue for aligning with the Democrats. Like that's not what we're arguing for. The fact that there is this shift happening is a positive indicator. That's all I'm saying. I. Yeah. No, no, no. It's, it's it's better than I expected. Okay? Like, that's actually the thing that I would say. In general, things have gone better than I expected they would have. On, on, the, on the matter of Trump being president, actually went... It's horrible, but I expected worse, to be honest. Even though I was kind of cynical, I thought, you know, that the election would end up with a horrible regime either way. I still thought Trump would be worse. Um... And I thought the left would be worse. And the left is unimaginably, unimaginably bad in certain ways, in ways I couldn't have predicted. But also, yeah, Jake is right. There are some hopeful developments, and I don't want to deny that. But the form of these hopeful developments is important. That's all. Yeah. You could even say it's hope punk. <laughs> okay. Jesus <laughs> oh, oh, Christ. me. <laughs> Jesus, so sweet Jesus. We, that's, uh, I mean, you should write an article on Hope like, Punk for Cosmonaut Rosa. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm working on my Harry that, Potter Hope Punk. Ride that wave. We ride that wave. Get it republished in Teen Vogue. No, but I think like what's really kind of happening globally is that there's just this general like collapse of the center in politics. I think. And so far, of the right, right-wing populism is gaining more of a stronghold because it's more suited for the kind of anti-globalist, nationalist, like, wave of, like, there's, there's kind of a theory that historians believe in that, like, capitalism has kind of cycles of, like, liberalism and nationalism, and so in a, um, in a, like, in a more liberal cycle of capitalism, say, like, capitalism up to, like, the 1920s, from the 1870s, then you had, like, a period of, like, more nationalist, protectionist capitalism, and then you see kind of, like, a rise of neoliberalism and, like, a rise of more globalist, like, transnational capitalism developing. So the theory is that kind of maybe we're seeing, like, you know, a return to a more, like, a nationalist, protectionist, like, mode of capital accumulation worldwide, and that's kind of what's Trump, you know, and this people like that's kind of what's going on here, basically. If that well, it seems sense. it seems like it was it seems like with Trump it was premature. Like I feel like what Trump is doing or trying roughly in his you know like half baked way to do is something that they would have pivoted to maybe in like ten years instead of now. You know, like I think he's just kind of accelerating. Is that like um, 
this is why like politics and society are so dependent on each other because the crisis in society isn't a, like intense enough for like a kind of like intense right wing government like you know like like the really crazy Trump fanboys wanted. Like there just isn't that level of social conflict to justify the kind of uh, decisionism or whatever like Carl Schmidt would you know like call for. Yeah, I right. mean, like, honestly, compared to the political meltdown, the social looks stable, even though the social is also decaying. One thing I was 100% right on, though, was, like, his use of uh, tax cuts. I basically said, like, he was going to, he could do that, mm -hmm. and then yeah. that would basically juke the economy a little bit, but it wouldn't really be, like, a meaningful, meaningful thing. And I and, called uh, tariffs. I, yeah. I, I knew that this would be at least in a, in a, spe in a spectacular way, yes. But that's all there is in these <laughs> in, in, in these kinds of policy debates. Even when we start talking about policy, which is the most concrete thing that happens in the presidency, everything is still pretty superficial. So yes, the simulation runs further down. But the point being that there was a policy shift towards, you know, quote, trade war. And there has been repercussions that didn't include capital flight. Yeah, well, what's interesting about it, yeah, like Donna was actually wrong about that one about it like being I mean in some ways it it like he hasn't completely he hasn't completely broken with neoliberalism and no. his tariff his tariff Economics stuff brought back jobs. And no, his, it doesn't like his, have to to be a, a different kind of policy. But the thing is like it is also we're also assigning like more coherence to it than it really deserves because you know like again it it seems like with him like tariffs it's just like it's like this fetish he has where it's just yeah. like, I just, I just want those tariffs. And like his advisors would be like, well, there'll be impacts from this. We can't predict. He's like, look, uh, like our trade deficit. It's huge. These tariffs are screwing us over. Even though the things are barely related. He's just like, just give me those tariffs. Uh, like I want it done by Friday again. Like, so, you know, it's not like, this isn't like a targeted, like I'm like, I'm going to realign the United States. It's like, this was oh, a predictive tariffs in. But this was predictable. These tariffs and make it great. But th yeah. this was predictable because, as somebody capricious like that, he would like to have some control over this. And so this can happen for selfish, dumb reasons. And history's yeah. hand can work in a funny way. It's a classic Hegelian insight. Well, so maybe the, you know, the, the tariffs, you know, it kind of does show that there actually is a move towards a more nationalist regime of capitalist accumulation. Yeah, we're, I mean, it's more emphasis on over the global market is is kind of what I'm, what I'm trying to say here is that what we're seeing is kind of this this uh, phase trying to emphasize the nation state politically over the forces of the global market. And historically, when this happens, it's not pretty like I'll just yeah we're, that we're definitely like, moving towards inner heightened inner imperialist competition uh speaking of which yeah we're, uh, we're, we're coming we're soon right on target if i if i have to drop 30 dollars of the paypal to do it we're fucking doing this we're reading g's dialectics paper oh we're damn gonna to, we're gonna talk about it damn we gotta read comrade it's, g's uh yeah, contribution to marxism um, i think that's interesting is that how china has mm -hmm. become an imperialist power over yeah. you know the past few years and how like yeah and, and competition. It, it is very clearly yeah it's very much clearly imperialism like the irony of like this, some, that the, the like china developed social imperialism as a theory in order to kind yeah, of but it was you know, so justify US this, the sino-soviet split and yes align with you know bizarre imperialist interests okay, no, 
but 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 now this this is real imperialism this is like like you can't you can't even because i will be the qualifier and say well if something isn't capitalism it can't be imperialist imperialism that just doesn't mean empire you know it's a more specific set of mechanisms yeah but is it but that's exactly what is happening um, what is China not capital? No, like, China, I think, that's the point. Yeah, you China could say is capitalist as fuck. Like there are big yeah, you know, national yeah. sectors. There is state command. But, but we'll, is the law of value the operating? Law of value. There. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. Law of value operates. In Look at the wage market. You, you have the you have the law of value, but it's like it kind of distorted by the heavy presence of state planning to where right. you have like a law of value being like so that's off haven's view of the soviet union yeah yeah basically like i would say that that's more reflective of like china yeah it's like the law of value on steroids because it's got that state that extra state little juice in there um so let's it's see. also like it also has like you know get sick every once in a while from like you know taking too much Juice, if you see too understand. much law of value, Get, gets, yeah, <clears throat> gets drunk so, on value. Or too, too much state planning can mean that you know the state sector can't compete with the market sector and it gets too powerful. And <clears throat> so, it's it's a, it's a kind of push and pull between in the bureaucracy between like the two, if that makes sense. So, here's one other thing that I kind of I kind of underestimated, um, too, was like just. I don't know why, but I I guess I kind of underestimate just how much like the Trump train like runs on resentment because, you know, <laughs> not, not too long ago, he like unveiled like the slogan for 2020, you know, like make them keep America great. And I think we see we at the time and maybe oh, the long man. the long run of history will bear this out still. But we seem to look more optimistic about like Trump's inability to deliver like disillusioning people. But. Yeah, maybe it really was never about that. Maybe it is just purely like, yeah, we're basically owning the libs and people like li like libs and snowflakes are mad at Trump and therefore he's doing a good job. You that's, know? that's part of why his appeal is waning, because that's not the most popular thing about him. The most popular thing about him was feeling like you could really stick it to the establishment. Now he's the establishment. He probably won't perform as well in the midterms for that reason. I mean, I, is, is he though? Because I mean, I feel like, especially like if this investigation thing kicks up, you know, that could really feed into people's like they would, they wouldn't, you know, he's our Kennedy. They wouldn't let him do what needed to be done, you know. Like that could end up actually very like, possible in a perverse way, like feeding back into that like no, that's what renegade Trump mystique is all about. And if he can, if he can, like, if he can get his mojo back in that way before the election, then yeah have at it but it ceteris paribus the way things are going um he might actually lose which i would have never said before because it seemed like the trump train is running strong well i think what jake said about how much trump runs on resentment makes a lot of sense because basically his fans all they really want from him is the the quote-unquote trigger the libs like as long as the liberals are angry and as long as he's like stirring up controversy and pissing off like democrats like they're happy with him like they don't even care if he's kind of fucking them over even like as long as he's like getting back at like the, the stupid liberals like the elites or whatever like that they see as you know they, 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 it's all based on just this idea of triggering the libs and and stuff like it's 
It's really resentment-based. And I think QAnon is kind of there for the true believers who care more about triggering the libs and actually do think that there's, like, this real, like, globalist, like, nationalist, like, struggle in the deep state, etc., etc. Meanwhile, meanwhile, his secretary of labor is literally the guy who cut Jeffrey Epstein's deal. Like... Jeffrey, like Jeffrey Epstein's plea deal, he served he served 13 months, and he could leave prison every day on work release. The guy who cut his deal is now the Secretary of Labor in the Trump administration. Jake, I brought this up to Trump, like QAnon people who are in the Pizza Gate, and what they claim is that Trump was on the Lolita Express to investigate <laughs> and find out what was going on. He was deep undercover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he was really kids. just there to get dirt on Epstein so that when, like, he had power, he could, like, you know, put him out or whatever. Like, that's really, like, the kind of wow. stuff they come up with. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> so, so they can't even be principled on the one fucking anti-pedophilia question? They have to make a... Uh... So, wait, do, what, what did, they, did, you, did you ask them about the whole, that guy being made Secretary of Labor? Did no, I did not or... actually know that. I did not know about that. I just brought up how, like, you know, Trump and Epstein have, like, you know, they've, they've palled around, you know, and uh, it's, you know, it's. Yeah, it, it was it was literally the most lenient sentence or the most lenient plea agreement for a sex offender in American history. Ugh. And like he and Jesus he was Christ. And, and he, he had, he and had we just, we, we're, we're back to the Catholic Church. This guy's basically a one man Catholic Church. Yeah, he had victims in the hundreds of like hundreds of people. Yeah. He's, he's horrific. No, and, and the thing is, it's like the QAnon people, they can just say that it's a deep state's fault that really like Trump is like waging this war against like pedophilia. Whereas like <laughs> the other so Trump insane. people do just be like, oh, no, no. I, and no, the other Trump people are just like, oh, you're just like a butthurt lib. Like, oh, well, like you're whining about Trump. What a fucking liberal, like orange man bad. Like, that's really how they are. Like they as long like, the fact you're pissed about that is like what gets them excited. They're like, oh, Trump did something bad and you're pissed about it. Haha, ha, you're triggered. Like, it's literally the attitude they have. Like, it's so ridiculous. That's why I said, like, if they... About, about that, about, uh, as Rose has put it before, riding the lowly express. Yeah. I'm, no, some of these people are really nihilistic. Again, but that's a prediction that that wasn't for the that wasn't for the first episode. But I know at one point I said like if there was ever video footage of Trump on the Lolita Express like doing stuff like he would just go Trump would just go no the computers they can fake it they can do anything now and people <laughs> would eat that up and just accept it and that would be it, it would put a dent in like his base of support. It's a stunt double. Yeah. Doesn't see, even look like me. Have you ever heard of deep fakes? Uh, like, they can do anything they want. <laughs> no, and that's the thing. That's the level of reality that the, politics kind the of like, animation works yeah. at now. It's very realistic, folks. Like, uh, they're, they're, you know, it's it, but it's a kind of a constant thing in American politics. Like Richard Hofstadter in like the fifties wrote about the paranoid style of American politics and how there is kind of like this. In, in American politics, you do see a, a recurring pattern of like this kind of conspiratorial, irrationalist thinking that people use to kind of make sense of the world. Okay, so um, America like was founded basically by like lumpins. Like when like you know America was formed, like a lot of the people who were sent over to the colonies like were basically like brigands and like just really like. 
like it was it was basically like the criminals who going you know were just like the rejects of society a lot of them were sent to become like servants in america and a lot of them in the early period were able to get land and were able to become somewhat successful as capitalists but um a lot of these early capitalists had like gang connections and so there's there's a there's an article I can send you about it by uh, Gerald Horn where it kind of talks about like how the class formation of of the United States has always been like really tied up with organized crime and uh, these kind of patronage networks with the state as well and it's 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 basically the idea that like American capitalism is is embedded with organized crime organized crime is more integral to the building of the american capitalist class and the reproduction of the class as a class than we actually realize like i think the the best example of this is like you know how jfk was part of the mafia like so what did we what did we touch on back then that we haven't touched on now uh we were kind of antifa skeptical but i think in some ways the antifa stuff worked which I think we need to admit. Did it? Was yeah, it I mean, was it Antifa that got like Milo canceled? It I was mean, they got did, Richard Spencer canceled. Like it, it did. It didn't hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Like, not, Nazi punching was a good meme. I'll admit. No, like Richard Spencer literally like couldn't do a college tour because people heckled the hell out of him so hard every time he tried to go speak somewhere. Like, All right. and that was because of mass mobilizations. Like. It worked as far as like getting like it preventing like a white nationalist leader from having like a more of a following. You could argue like it wasn't and exactly I know, I mean, revolutionary. Like it wasn't like right smashing the state, but for what it was purposely purposely trying to do, it worked. It was but, more it was more effective saw- than I expected it to be. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just saying. I think you know it 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 worked out better than I expected it to. Um, yeah, okay, it worked out better than I expected it to as well. So, um, but I'm like, in an alternate reality, basically where people did something different, I'm not sure that white nationalism would have taken off either. So I'm trying to say, I see see your point. I'm not actually sure that it did anything, but you know, there's no way to know it's a problem, but I'm just saying, (laughs) but what, what if it didn't, (laughs) I mean, what if, what if, I mean, but I mean, if some butts were candy and nuts. We'd all have a Merry Christmas. Okay, so that's one to grow on, folks. Thanks for listening. No, sorry. <laughs> do you understand what, what, why I, I like this recording? A skeptic is what do you think that like leftists should do if Nazis come into their town? Should they just let them march freely through like neighborhoods and Wait, open up, like you know? No, no, no. no. I, I don't think any of us think that. I don't think any of us think. Yeah, fuck yeah, it. No, you I, know, I, let boys be boys. Like. So yeah, you, that's why I love Antifa. Like you're always, people well, are morally we're ta- we're ta- like we're talking about a lot of things. By like yeah, okay, I, but I'm saying I don't think Antifa is. I still I still stand by the idea that deplatforming wasn't particularly effective against like fascism. Right. I think the I think the alt right was really kind of overhyped. Right. And. Mm-hmm. In the first place, it was overhyped by the media, and they pretty much spent like a good portion of their time collectively just shooting themselves in the foot. Although, to be <laughs> yeah. fair, yeah, Richard Spencer theory. did blame like did blame deplatforming for his like slow decline in popularity. Which no, listen, like I listen to their podcasts, and they constantly are complaining about how they can't do anything. All we can do is talk to each other online because. 
we're all deplatformed and Antifa has us like, you know, like the, the cathedral or whatever. It's just like, you know, the, the, you know, the global homo hegemony of, you know, whatever is too strong and we can't do anything. Like it's, it's basically like these people can't organize the same way. And a lot of it was them shooting each other, but it was them shooting each other in response to like Antifa in a lot of ways. Like Antifa fueled the flames of their own self-destruction. Aren't they just like a bunch of losers that would have sputtered out anyway? Yeah. It, I, I mean, it's, it's something. Yeah, probably. I don't know. I don't like, know. Like, like, okay, with with Richard Spencer, yeah, I feel like Antifa was more effective because Antifa is, you know, he's harder, right? But with right. like Milo specifically, like the attempts at deplatforming Milo did not stop Milo from being like yeah, a sort true. of celebrity. Because Milo doesn't argue for nothing. My Milo argues is like against the global liberal hegemony if that makes sense like richard spencer argues for like an overturning of the global order as we know it so he really is like a yeah milo was all yeah. light and like what bad. brought him down was, was specifically like evangelical no, mormons. conservative type. It's mormons oh damn yeah, you mormons. fuck with the mormons you get the teeth yeah you get the yeah they get came the out pants. yeah i think i think romney should have brought like that mormon that yeah. deep deep mormon, deep mormon yeah mafia shit yeah mormon mormon decolonization but, we want to think... leave the country the important point though about the alt-right is that they're all a bunch of internet fail sons and i think antifa has kept them they, they've tried actively to like get out of that and i think antifa has played a part in keeping them in that like niche yeah, it wasn't it wasn't as ineffective slash harmful as I than as I maybe expected it to be. So there was a lot of right wing moral panic about it, and that was like you know a lot of like oh Antifa is like this leftist street gang that's going to kill. Well, you we had no you, idea. Blah, blah, blah. That I think Trump would be talking about Antifa. You know what I yeah. mean? I th I think that was the thing that I didn't see coming. You know, I I, I didn't see I didn't really see like. <sighs> Well, Hillary Clinton talked about 4chan before that, so anything <laughs> that's possible. true. But I mean, I I I did I thought it would it would be more like the Bush years with the kind of ham-handed anti-fascism of the Bush years, less than like anarchist-influenced direct action. I didn't expect that. That's mm. more things I didn't predict or expect. So like, I was actually pleased to see it initially, and only developed a more sour perspective over time. Um, but I think the moral weight in the situation is is de facto always with Antifa. Um, and yeah, people can discredit themselves from there. But f frequently, like, you know, my sympathies are not with the fascists, okay? Like, <laughs> I remember us getting shit about um, being mean to Antifa before they sort of blew up. And then it became a national well, issue. The problem is, well, my my kind of um issue with Antifa was when I grew up knowing Antifa, like they were basically just like a bunch of punks who like went to punk shows and fought Nazis. Whereas like in a lot yeah. of the popular mobilizations against Spencer and stuff, that really wasn't the case at all. But uh you know, like, there, there's just an inherent limit to anti-fascist politics that you have to recognize. But at the same time, like, the left just can't let... We discredit ourselves if we just, like, let these people march around unopposed.
because there is real moral indignation at like these people and, and what they stand for and you know if you just it just doesn't help your public image as you know an emancipatory force if you just let nazis march around and you know there are ways to do it like i remember one thing that i really liked was um I think at the at like the Juggalo march or whatever, they, I think their thing they said to the like the three percenters of it was like show us your buttholes, it was like their chant. Yeah, exactly. Like there's you you have to kind of troll the far right because in in a way they they'll earn your respect if you kind of troll back because if you're like really like morally you don't want to earn your respect but they'll 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 kind of you know it's 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 more of a a real like antagonistic enemy like kind of relationship if that makes sense like they respect you more as an enemy i guess the modern version of that on twitter is post hog i think that's the new um post hog well yeah you basically just you you like if you're dealing with some right winger you just tell them to show us your dick and then (laughs) post your hog and then just keep doing that until they until they get pissed yeah um so, uh, is there anything else? Um, any reflections on these two August years of uh, being on an obscure podcast? I, I didn't even notice it was like two years. I, I wasn't on the first episode, and nope. I didn't even listen to it. Life, com- <laughs> life comes at you fast. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I reflected on how you know grateful I was for the show on the Thanksgiving special, and that still remains true. So predictions um, for two years from now. Predictions for two years from now. Where's it going to be? Let's make some. Let's take some solid. Let's make yeah. some solid predicts. All right, election. Uh, Trump I think versus twenty twenty. I, th- I think I th- uh, okay. I'll, I'll just. Uh, I'm, I think okay. Sanders is going to lose the primary again. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm with you there. And then I don't Trump's even gonna... think he's going to run. With... And then you don't think he's going to run? I don't think he's going to run with specifically Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, Warren is going to run against Trump, and Trump is going to win, and that's how it's going to go. Yeah, yeah, a, a Trump re-election is the most likely scenario. And then and Trump I th- can still fuel. And all, all Trump has to do is trigger the libs, and he can get that resentment from his base and get them to vote against the Democrats. That's all he has to do. He you know can what? Be as I, shitty as a president as he wants. I, you know, I, I, I understand why you'd say that, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that's true. Like, I, I'm. I'm. I don't know. Okay, I, so here's here's one. Economic crisis. What year? When's the big one? Um, the big pick one. A, pick a year. Either this 21. year or next year. Okay, you're saying yeah. 20, 2019, 2020. It's, it's coming. Yeah. I was thinking twenty one. Twenty twenty one. Donald, what's your number? Are we doing prices um, right rules? Oh yeah, I, I I think it's I think we love one dollar. <laughs> <laughs> faster and faster like i don't like playing the, the date game i just no nah, no like, come on yeah, let's do it come on all, all of right, us are doing like, it within so. the next 10 you see a financial meltdown give oh, me the, no give me a pick a number come on yeah or right, 2022 okay 2022 i'm like gonna during go trump second reign <laughs> i'm not gonna go i was gonna go i'll go I, my instinct would be to go 2023 but i don't want to do that cheap prices right thing yeah, you do like one more right. than the other that's person right. that's exactly that's such right. a, that's such a bitch move and i hate it when they do that <laughs> so i'm gonna i'm gonna shit. honestly no, i'm gonna say think... 2025 oh shit yep. jake you're an optimist i wow. think we I so think growth ahead of us. We get to have careers. You no, it won't be growth. It'll just be more like craziness. Like it'll be volatile. No, actually, let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Because think about mm. what that means. Like the, yeah. this, Hang the on. housing bubble, the tech what, bubble. What does crisis even? What does crisis even mean anymore? Though? Like the, like you the, have like these uh, yeah. Marxist political economy, Donald. 
like like 2008 at sure. least 2008 or higher you level right the political the aspect of crisis you you need you need yeah, if you're marxist it's, it's, you need to look at the political economic aspects of crisis i'm aware <laughs> here. like i don't know why you're saying i don't like let's see i'm gonna hang on i'm gonna, I'm gonna try and forget what what you all said and just like, i'm just saying like you can't like you can like what i was gonna say is like a political legitimacy crisis isn't identical to a financial crisis like you well, can sure. have one without yeah. the other and you know what i'm gonna say that I'm gonna say 2023. Honestly, I think four years. I think we got another four years. <laughs> and what I was trying to say is that like crisis is kind of more managed by the state now in a way to where like the state can kind of just devalue capital in response to crisis and get away with it because it has I, I, no opposition. That that was the main line before 2008. And I crisis. don't think that's true. I don't, I, I think crisis is still a live force and that, you know, they haven't really fundamentally changed that force. much. Like, and that the same, more or less the same thing looks like it's going to happen again. And is it likely to be as big this time? I'm, that's what I'm not sure about. Cause if it's the big one, it really is. But like, if it's not, it could be like a minor 2008, but it looks, it looks pretty massive. It looks pretty, it looks pretty. Yeah, massive. My point is like 2008 didn't really shake up the, the political order. Yeah, I'm talking like, about the economy. Able to be, yeah. But I'm saying is like, you know, we're talking about political economy. Like there's, there's an, an Right, but, crisis is not just like an economic thing. It's yeah, but big, basically, it could have, please. It did shake up the political order, but there was no political actor to benefit from it. You know who benefited from it? Obama and the Democrats, and then yeah, they didn't do it, shit it was, with it. Right, they, Trump, they were able. It, it was the, the center was able to continue, like you know, having legitimacy. Right, but well, like, did they? The thing is, like, like they, <laughs> they got they got into, they got into uh, office, and then they got Tea Partied within two years because they didn't do shit. Right, you know. So yeah, there were but, there were there were political ramifications from this. I mean, it wasn't catastrophic, but they were it was there, I mean, especially in other countries. Happened, but yeah. I mean, well, the, the well, politics isn't the most important thing that happened. Like, but there was there was also the Arab Spring and Syriza and all that was a fallout from it as well. So there there were there were political like yeah. Ramifications. I mean, I think that's what the more mean like that's the more like like historically important. His change has probably been hinging and what's happening in the Middle East right now. Okay, so here's seems to be like more so than the than the collapse of the American economic horizon. I I, I just don't think so. I don't think that the the political changes have been that significant. Like we're still sort of in the same sort of doldrums period. Like okay, um, what else can we predict within two years? I mean, oh, the, the economic crisis strikes I mean, a little longer. Geopolitics, but... yeah, geopolitics. Okay. Um, Trump has to ultimately rule in the interests of capital, no matter what he does. Like, as a state actor, he has to basically like allow the reproduction of capitalism to continue, and he has to represent like a key sector of the capitalists adequately to you know basically have their political support and not have capital flight. And so, Trump moving out of Syria, Trump you know, kind of taking this, what seems to be like described as an anti-neocon turn. What does this really mean? Does it just mean that maybe America is kind of reshaping its imperial policy or does it, you know, does it mean that there's actually like a, 
Does it, in the next two years, does Trump pull us out of Afghanistan? We know he wants to. Does he pull the trigger? I don't know. Mm. That's a good question. I think he might. I think it's very possible. Because uh, again, like according to the Bob Woodward book, like he had like these long arguments with the generals on Afghanistan policy, and it became pretty clear that the CIA and the army were jockeying to not be the ones responsible for losing <laughs> the war, and so he basically he basically wanted to just declare victory and leave, and they were saying you can't do that, and they basically eventually wore him down. But I still like he, nice. and especially with like the speech he gave when he pulled out of seat when he basically got us out of Syria. Like I, he seems to be definitely pivoting in a direction of trying to set up. You know, we're getting out of there. No, but this is good. Like this is the good side of Trump because U.S. imperialism <laughs> is leaving the Middle East. No, that's serious. No, no, no. no, no. I, 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 I completely agree. Unfortunately, but this, this is just an absurd thing. This to is have the happened. only. Yeah, this is the only good side of the Trump death cult. Is that like if bad things happen when, after he pulls out of the Middle East, he can go. No, oh, that's fake news. It's fine there. And his his, his Chud yeah, followers yeah. will listen. Will believe it. Like they'll. Yeah. Uh, of course, it would be. In, no, no, like, think about it. Now that man. now that the U.S. has left Syria, the real revolution can begin. Like that's. Or he could be. Or he uh, could be like, if bad things happen in the Middle East, he can be like, well. Who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah. no, yeah, his slogan is literally America first. Yeah, the, America like, first. I Polk's came in, I defeated ISIS. <laughs> I can leave. It'll just now. be like the plane and look at all the bad things they did in the Middle East and you know, yeah, whatever. Folks, like they're always fighting each other, folks. We can't do anything about it. The thing is, like <laughs> Trump is his his weird anti-war. I don't think it's because of any ideological conviction. I just think it's 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 because he's trying to realign our foreign policy overall. I don't think he's essentially going to break with America as the police of the world, but I think he's kind of trying to I think he's kind of trying to, you know, maybe like realign maybe well, yeah, what he actually wants to do Middle and look at Latin America and Africa more. Well, his state no his his state here's his stated rationale and here's the way he thinks he basically he's he's still willing to have America be the police in the world he just wants people to pay us money to do it <laughs> no it's true like that's that's because that was his old speech he's like he's like we are no longer the suckers <laughs> of the world okay they're people are gonna pay us to do this you know like that's 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 his that's his that's his um ideology or if you can call it that. Well, he kind of misread well, the, economic, that, the, the economic policy of why the U.S. was taking such a loss in these international yeah. arrangements, which I love. Yeah, and he might have actually undone the American order, like, which would be very funny if, like, we just elected the apprentice guy to like I mean, sell the, it the, off. I, yeah, I, the American order has been in a relative crisis since our defeat in Vietnam, and I think like Trump is a symptom of this of this decline, and like. What we're going to see is like this, this, this kind of pivot between maybe isolationist and stupid wars. Basically, like we're going to see like this kind of increasing irrationality in, in foreign policy, where we're going to like still have like our military police state role in the rest of the world, but we're going to basically say we're not doing it for America. We're doing or, or for the world and for democracy and abstract ideas. We're doing it for America, and, and like we're just going to see like a turn more towards like naked imperialism and less of this like liberal like humanitarian bullshit. 
Well, that's the thing. In well, his meeting, apparently, like in his meetings with the generals, when they were like, well, we can't just leave for reasons X, Y, and Z, he's like, okay, well, why aren't we getting the lithium? They got all this lithium there. And they, <laughs> we should just we should just oh, take God. it so we can make money. And they oh, were like, no. well, um, it would, yeah. sir, it would, it would take exactly. like, that's what I'm saying. It would take like 10 years, Sorry. sir, to set up the infrastructure to do all that. He'd be like, 10 years, Jesus Christ, we've already been there 15. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wants to just be like a more Jesus. naked imperialist. He's like, yeah, exactly. And, and the thing is, is like, that's why I'm not like, you know, I, I you know, I, the anti-war stuff is, it's very pseudo anti-war because like I said, he is just pivoting to kind of change or pivot as you know well, you predict that he's gonna what, you predict that he's gonna do a stupid war donald is that a, is that a hard prediction um, we're in prediction section yeah because, i think that he is being really stupid about venezuela and he might not go to war but his whole like attitude about that is just it's just oh you know why don't we invade them like, let's, yeah. i think i think that's, he's too backwards for really something really, like he that has i think no real ideology he'll go to, yeah, he'll go to, yeah, he'll, yeah so that, that's war. the thing He'll go to war. Well, let's on also look beyond Trump. Well, but no, 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 but but like I'm Trump like, is our next eight years, like or our next uh, six years, years likely. Yeah. So well, let's let's well, be real. Tw- like, uh, it, it, no, but I'm saying even when Trump is power, laws. he's not the sole. Like, I'm, what I'm saying is even when Trump is power, there's still other like capitalist interests that are expressed by the state in our foreign sure, policy. Sure, like, the military is very big, and I think like there is a sector of them that is basically kind of using this russia gate stuff as a reason to get more funding and increase our presence on the border of russia basically okay but within within the next six years right is you know is if those people are pushing for wars the way that they push for wars with other presidents is trump likely to listen to them no right no it depends if he wants the war it's up to him. I, he, like, I think he's, he's too he's too feckless for something like, like that. Unless he just it, has a complete like demented brain fart. And... Well, un- <laughs> unless unless we get attacked, <laughs> probably. If 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 the yeah, United if got States attacked, got attacked, yeah. he would absolutely go to war and he would do it Hollywood style. Like or uh, like if it yeah. was like I don't know something happened in Venezuela. Like I, I actually these like, generals these generals they couldn't get it done. We need to, we need new leadership in the Middle East, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Steven Seagal. <laughs> well, no, the U.S. Empire is in decline, and like if Trump goes to war, it will be a huge disaster. Like it will be like a it will it would be like a like a, a farce. And like he literally pulled the collecula. As like you know this, these Latin American like gangsters who who stole our orders and now are mismanaging it and like. Even like some of the ones who like some of his like you know anti neocon stuff, they still think we need to go in the Venezuela and like you know get our oil back. Like they, they <laughs> the thing is is like they don't want no more wars. Like the, the paleocon like people like no more war. It's no more Jewish war. In their <laughs> the problem no more kosher wars. wars. That's right. Yeah, they, they want kosher <laughs> war. They want they, the problem. They the want American wars isn't that. Wars and that they kill people, and that's better benefit of Israel. We need strictly unkosher slaughter, and so oh, that's that's why they like you know you you'll see fast who are all excited about leaving Syria, but at the same time think we need to like go fight in Venezuela, like yeah, I, I and other fast don't, but like there is like a weird like you know, a contingent of Trump fans who are really bent on like 
invading Venezuela. Okay, so one here's one. I don't know if we're qual we're, we're prepared to answer this, but uh, how how much longer does Ruth Gator, Bader Ginsburg have? <laughs> oh. And uh, and uh, who uh, and for bonus points, who does Trump tap to replace her? <laughs> I'm gonna say six weeks. And Judge Judy. <laughs> you know yeah, honestly, daily double. <laughs> I was, I said Judge Judy in my brain. I promise. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, Judge Judy for sure. Uh, because who, uh, who's, who's, who's the platonic person. form of judge for like eighties TV? Yeah. Well, uh, and yeah, honestly, um, improvement. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go further. I'm gonna go further and say, you know, I'm just gonna go full Q anon here and say she's already dead, actually. And um, <laughs> he's gonna point Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, yeah, like Alan Dershowitz. Um, Alan Dershowitz. <laughs> she. He's gonna point Alan Dershowitz to go after the pedophile Bob. B Bill O'Reilly. Yeah, Bill. Like um, oh, Kevin Spacey. He, 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 <laughs> We're bringing him back, Kevin folks. It's this Louis C.K. comeback special. Come back as the next Supreme Court judge. <laughs> yeah, he, he it's it, like the openings like in Washington D.C. goes and gets a pizza, puts on but his judge's ropes. But it's specifically uh, as as Frank Underwood though. He has to be entirely uh, in character. Well, wasn't oh, this the thing? Did this happen? Like yeah, yeah. No, you, you saw the video of uh, I did of not Kevin Spacey. I did not talking into the camera oh so lovingly as Frank Underwood talking about how they couldn't keep us apart. It's just, uh, you know, date raping you right through the camera. No. I never I never got Donald's prediction. I want how much how much longer does Ruth Gator Bader Ginsburg have left? <laughs> I don't know. How am I supposed That's to a tough question? If I was their doctor I'd be able to come on, I only talk about things I can, you know, use fact and logic. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Only own facts and logic, not you know, wizardry. I'm a rational skeptic. I'm I guess I guess I'm just feeling cocky because I feel like we got a lot right on the first episode. So I'm really trying to push the bounds and see like what our prediction powers are. I want to have. Yeah. I want. I'm setting us up to have content in two years. We can go back and see, you know, and just That's have true. things that are just dead wrong and just be like, what the fuck are we thinking? You know. That's it for this week. If you want to support the show, subscribe to our Patreon. Leave us a review on iTunes. Like our stuff. So until next time, keep your boots clean, your feet out of the swamp, and your head in the revolutionary clouds of tomorrow. <laughs>